tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. with Dr. Diane MD. This is a show designed with you in mind. The goal is to inform and inspire you to a healthier, happier, and more inspired lifestyle. I am your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson MD, and as always, it is my pleasure spending time with you on this broadcast with the goal that you may learn something that may take your health and or your life to a higher level. Once again, I thank you for joining me this week, and thank you for your continued support. Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD is syndicated and available in various markets. For more details, please go to my website at drdianethompson.com. And while you're there, please sign up for updates. You may also find me at Facebook, and the, the site is facebook.com forward slash Thompson. We have a very active Facebook community and you can get lots of health information, inspirational information, and episodes of past shows. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Diane MD. I would like to remind you that the information provided is for educational purposes only. It is not intended for diagnosis or treatment, so please seek the advice of your healthcare provider before making any changes to your health. Now, we are talking about sleep health, and if you joined us last week, you got to hear the first part of this interview. If you did not hear that uh, first part, please go to the archives. My archives are available at my website. They're also available on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher Radio, as well as on Blog Talk Radio and on my FMG page, which is fmgradio.com forward slash Dr. Diane MD. Archives are also available on YouTube. So we've made that easy for you. So you can go back and listen to part one. And this is part two, where we're continuing our discussion on sleep health. Uh, you know, the CDC has linked sleep insufficiency with motor vehicle crashes, industrial disasters, medical and occupational errors, and poor productivity. And I suspect many of you know this, but some of the other things, and and Dr. Brown as well as Terry highlighted this last time, is that poor sleep is also associated with chronic diseases such as hypertension, diabetes, depression, obesity, and even certain cancers and increased mortality according to the CDC. So to help with the continuation of this discussion is uh, Terry Crawley, who is a registered nurse and certified sleep health professional, 
and Dr. David Brown, who's a sleep psychologist. And again, they have this uh, upcoming book, and I'm looking forward to reading this because I like the title so much. And this is information I can learn because I, I struggle with getting adequate sleep as it is. And the title of their book, their upcoming book, is Sleeping Your Way to the Top. And, and they feel that this is an ultimate self-help a tool that you can use to uh, learn more about sleep and, and gain the amount of sleep that you should uh, get. So let's um, go on with our discussions. Now I want to actually talk specifically about certain groups in terms of getting enough sleep. And so let's talk about the people like, you know, I've done this before. I pulled the all-nighters as a student. Um, I remember having two jobs, and this is just a habit I developed years ago where sleep was just way down there uh, in terms of importance. So let's start with you, Dr. Brown. What's the impact on a student, for example, who's doing these all-nighters, studying for an exam, they stay up all night and you know, expect to walk into that exam and ace that exam? Right. Well, I think any student has been faced with the all-nighter, but... Uh, the science shows now that an all-nighter is not a good idea uh, for any any aspect of education. Uh, the problem the problem there is that if you pull an all-nighter and you study all night, you may and I underline the word may uh, be helped if it's a recognition test like a true/false or a multiple choice. But if the test or the project revo- re- involves any creativity or essay type you're much more impaired by pulling the all-nighter than if you had slept. Uh, If anybody's interested in the relationship between sleep and education, I would encourage them to look or Google Matthew Walker at Berkeley University. He he shows that if you train people to hit a number of keys um, in a certain order on a keyboard, if if you... Train them to do that as fast as they can. You wait 12 hours and test them again. They don't get any better. But if you let them sleep in between those 12 hours, they get 20% faster with 35% greater accuracy. And as I mentioned last time, when we learn something new and we sleep on it, that's what puts it into long-term memory. That's what helps us recall it later. And it's not just sleep before you do something. uh, It's sleep after you learn something as well. So, for example, if you teach people lists of words and if the words have an emotional valence, such as you know positive words like love, negative words like cancer, or neutral words like book, and then you, if they have not slept the night before they learned this, uh, their recall of those words later is much, much worse, with the exception of the negative words. The negative words are recalled just as much as, the posit- as a well-rested person. Now, what this study implies is that if you're not getting enough sleep, you're going to automatically have a negative outlook on the world. And so it's not just sleep before you take a test, but after you learn a subject. And the point that we are trying to make is that it's not just a good night of sleep every now and then. It's consistently getting an adequate amount of sleep. It's what's going to lead to optimal performance. Another group out there are those people who work the night shift. How does this impact them? Well, 
there's not a good story with night shift. It turns out that humans are probably nocturnal sleepers. We much prefer to sleep at night than we do during the day. Um, and even people that have worked most of their career on the night shift, by the time they hit the age of 40, it becomes very difficult to work that night shift. Uh, and now we are seeing there, there are some genetic predispositions in some people that simply cannot work the night shift. And if you are one of these people with this particular genetic change, you just are not a night shift worker and don't even try to do it. Night shift is difficult. Um, we can show that a night shift worker, they typically will work the night shift, but on their days off will revert back to sleeping at night. But when they sleep to the, during the day compared to themselves, they're getting about two hours less sleep every day compared to themselves when they sleep at night. Um, shift work is, is dangerous. People that work these hours are more likely to be involved in automobile accidents. Shift work is an independent risk factor for some cancers. And we think it is probably because they don't get melatonin at night. Melatonin is naturally produced when it gets dark, and it's a very strong antioxidant. And if you don't get this antioxidant, it, it's going to create a problem uh, potentially down the road. Um, women that are trying to get pregnant, if they're working the night shift, have a harder time getting pregnant, and there's a higher miscarriage rate on nighttime shift workers. Uh, there is no, you know, I would never call a friend of mine at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, what's going on? But people don't have that same taboo against a shift worker. They'll call them at 10 o'clock in the morning and say, "How? Uh, what's going on? How are you doing? Even though they know they have slept and I mean, worked the night before. And so shift workers have to really try to protect their sleep environment as much as possible. Aside from protecting the environment, do you have any other suggestion for shift workers? Because there are some people who this is it. They're, they don't have a choice. They have to work the night shift, but we want to keep them as healthy as we can. That's true. Um, typically, what we recommend is if you, when you get off the shift, go straight home, try to get in bed as quickly as possible. You should wear, if, it, if the sun has already come up, wear dark glasses. Uh, try to block the light because the light is going to reset your clock. The bedroom should have blackout shades. Uh, every member of the family should be aware that you need to sleep during the day not to interrupt you during the day and to try to keep the house quiet. A lot of shift workers do something called split sleeping. They'll go home, they'll sleep for a few hours in the morning, and then they try to get another few hours in the evening right before they go into their night shift. If you do revert back to a nighttime sleep schedule on your day off, it should be, it's called anchor sleep, where you don't go to bed at 10 o'clock, but you try to overlap your uh, sleep with the daytime as much as possible. So maybe stay up till 3 o'clock and sleep till noon as opposed to going to bed at 10 o'clock. So as long as seven days a week there is some basic period of time where sleep is consistent will help in the long term. And Terry, there's another group of people that sometimes will have unique sleep problems, and this is the, the elderly. Can you talk a little bit about them? 
Yes, the common misconception is that as we get older, we need less sleep. And typically, we don't need less sleep, but we just there seem to be more sleep issues in the elderly for a variety of reasons. Some of those are numerous medications that they're on, and some of them have to do with not getting bright sunlight in the morning, which actually helps you fall asleep at night. And there's also chronic diseases in that population. And there seems to be a reciprocal relationship with chronic disease and sleep. And it's one of those things where sleep can um, really help chronic disease, and chronic disease, though, can disrupt sleep. So the bottom line with the elderly is to prioritize sleep and address it in all doctor visits. Typically because the medications, some of the issues with the medications, we can adjust the timing of the medications if they're interfering with the sleep. And also the rate of obstructive sleep apnea, one of the most common sleep disorders, does increase with age. So people in the elderly population should be screened for sleep apnea if they're showing any signs or you know, waking up tired or having problems during the night. We have um, insomnia can be an issue in this population. And you know, some healthcare providers are reluctant to prescribe sleeping pills for this population just because of the risk of falls during the night, things like that. But there are alternatives to sleep medications such as cognitive behavioral therapy that can be quite effective. So the bottom line in this, in, in the elderly is to ensure and prioritize sufficient sleep and they will likely see better health and a better quality of life. All right, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. My guests today uh, include Terry Crawley, who's a registered nurse and certified sleep health professional, and Dr. David Brown, who's a sleep psychologist. They have an upcoming book called Sleeping Your Way to the Top, and we're discussing sleep health. This is the second part of our two-part interview. Dr. Brown, what about those people whose partners snore? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I've been told that I snore myself. But, (laughs) uh, you know, after the age of 40, about 60% of men snore every single night, but 40% of women snore, so it's not just totally a male problem. And snoring can get remarkably loud. We have documented snoring at close to 90 decibels. Now, to put that in perspective, conversations around 40 decibels, baby crying, 60 decibels, 90 decibels is a motorcycle revving its engines, and it can get remarkably loud. And it does, in fact, disturb bed partners' sleep. What's interesting is the snorer is usually oblivious to the fact that they're snoring. They never hear themselves snore. Uh, it is a problem, and when we're treating insomnia patients, we're always looking at the environment, and we're looking at bed partners. And I hate to suggest it, but sometimes sleeping apart uh, from a snorer can improve somebody's sleep. But there are treatments available. Uh, Snoring can be an indication of obstructive sleep apnea, and if there's a possibility you have apnea, you should talk to your doctor about that and get it treated. But if you don't have apnea, um, there are dental appliances that can be used. These work by moving the lower jaw forward slightly, uh, and that will open the airway and can eliminate snoring. And there are surgical approaches as well that can eliminate snoring. 
Uh, they have done studies where they look at snorers, and when the snorer gets their snoring treated, the bed partner sleep also improves. So it's not a trivial problem. It's a common problem, but if you have a bed partner that's complaining about your snoring, I would certainly talk to my doctor about it. And those are great solutions because I, I know there are plenty of husbands that have found themselves on the sofa, so they'll be happy to hear this. Uh, what, <laughs> what about mattresses, Terry? Are there certain mattresses that seem to be better for sleep? Well, everyone asks me this question, you know, what, what is the best mattress? And there is no answer for that because it just depends on the individual. And you have to look at several variables when you're shopping for mattresses. And we do tell people that they don't, you know, even though a mattress warranty may last um, 20 years, that doesn't mean the mattress is going to be good for 20 years. We, we are really going back now to saying about seven years is the maximum life of a good mattress. And it just depends. It depends on a person's height and weight. It depends on their age. It depends on health conditions they have. For instance, a heavy set person may may opt for a, a thicker mattress with more support materials in the middle. Um, a person who has snoring issues, a partner with snoring issues, may want a bed with the head of the, that the head of the bed elevates, and that can sometimes help with the snoring. And we've got mattresses that have toppers that can heat and cool because a lot of couples have different temperature preferences, and that can cause some problems. Um, if one person likes it hot and the other person likes it cooler, <laughs> that's, that's, always a, a, that's a very common complaint. So the, the, the way to do it is sort of taking an assessment of what's going on with um, you and your bed partner, and then really spend some time mattress shopping um, you know, really spend time in terms of 15 or 20 minutes um, lying on a mattress, spend time in different positions on that mattress, and see what feels the best. There's a variety of materials available, and there's something for everyone. That's the good news. Um, the bad news is probably there's some analysis paralysis when you're trying to figure out all of the options and what's best for you. But you know, you have to look at the health conditions, like I said, and the body types. And, you know, just say if you have reflux disease, you might want a mattress on an adjustable base where the head elevates. Or you may want, um, people that get older tend to like softer mattresses. And I think for years we've, we've been told that a firm mattress is the best for your back, and that's not necessarily true. A lot of studies have shown a more medium for a mattress is is better for your back. But the consensus is that after about seven years, a new mattress will help with sleep quality. All right. So we are talking sleep health. We are going on a short break for our sponsors. And when we get back, we will talk specifics about solutions. We already highlighted a few of them, but we'll talk more specific solutions for your sleep problems. We'll be right back. Do you want to learn how to live a healthy, happy, and inspired life? Then listen to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. Thursdays from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on Atlanta's Incredible Radio, 1570 AM WIGO. 
Listen to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. for tools and strategies to live a healthy, happy, and successful life. For details, go to drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Dr. Diane A. Thompson. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane M.D. I am your host, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, and you're listening to part two of this two-part interview on your sleep health. My guests today include Terry Crawley, who's a registered nurse and certified sleep health professional, and she's based out of Washington, D.C. And we also have Dr. David Brown, who's a sleep psychologist from Dallas, Texas. They do have an upcoming book, which is called Sleeping Your Way to the Top. And in the second uh, half of this show, we really want to highlight uh, some of the solutions out there because we now know that sleep deprivation is a major problem in this country. We know that it has many ill effects on our health. And so, Terry, what, what does the term sleep management mean? What is that? What we've done, Dr. Brown and I have, we've addressed this uh, thoroughly in our book, but we've looked at sleep as it relates to diet and exercise. And the three of those are the the triad and the foundation of good health and healthy lifestyle. So we analyzed how we have looked at diet and exercise in the past uh, few, few decades, and we've In terms of diet, we've looked at calorie counting, um, special diets, you know, types of food we eat. Um, And then after that, we sort of looked at exercise along the same light. We've looked at, you know, our societies put more emphasis and priority on going to the gym and walking and doing things to get sufficient exercise on a daily basis. We've left sleep out of that equation for some reason, and hopefully we can look at sleep in a different light now. And since it's interconnected with the with diet and exercise, we need to change our thinking and look at sleep in terms in terms of something to manage. And we're we're looking at sleep management in terms of apps. There are new apps out now that will monitor our sleep, see how much sleep we're getting. Um, these things can be obviously um, put on our phones and, and worn on our wrists, things like that. So we are promoting the fact that we're going to raise awareness about sleep by looking at these different apps and how they can help us manage. If we know how much sleep we're getting every night, that can help us, um, say, manage our schedules and we can see how that ties into the other aspects in terms of diet and exercise, making all, all adding up to a healthy lifestyle and just prioritizing it, be more cognizant of it, and be more aware of it all, all around. Anyway, I'm, I'm curious about this because I'm sure, like I've, I've shared with you, this is a problem of mine. It's been a problem for many, many years. It's something that I'm actively working on. But for someone who's out there listening to this and they know that uh, they've had poor sleep health, how do they get a hold of someone like you or, or like you, Dr. Brown? How does a person go to their primary care doctor and say, you know, I'd like to be referred to a sleep health professional or someone who's out there who's like, I have this problem. What do I do? How do what's the step to getting to someone like you to help them? Oh, I think you, you 
start with your own physician and you ask for, you tell them the nature of the problem and try to get an appropriate referral. Now, sleep psychology, there's a new certification called behavioral sleep medicine. Uh, there's very few certified behavioral sleep medicine ex- experts, but if you go to the American Academy of Sleep Medicine website, aasmnet.org, uh, you can find a list of certified behavioral sleep experts uh, around the country. And those are the people that are going to be primarily doing behavioral interventions, not pharmacologic interventions, and primarily for insomnias. Uh, If it's more like an apnea, you definitely should go to an accredited sleep center uh, to get a thorough evaluation. All right, so let's continue on with some of the solutions. Now, I know that Dr. Brown had covered some of this on the last segment when we talked about night workers. But, Terry, can you talk a little bit more about making an environment conducive to sleep? Well, sure. And we've we've all heard that it's important to keep the bedroom cool, dark, and quiet. And that's those are the basics. But I think there's some other steps we can take in terms of really turning it into a sleep sanctuary. And I caution people that have televisions in their bedrooms, um, their desks with a lot of work piled on them. Um, you know, even <laughs> things like unfolded laundry, <laughs> just just all the the things that remind us of, oh, my gosh, we've got so much to do and um, there are things out there to do. We should really take all of that out of the bedroom and, and focus on making it a sleep sanctuary and nothing else. Take the distractions out. Take the clutter out. Um, this gets to a touchy subject about pets. I have people that are, you know, love their cats and dogs and sleep with them every night, but then admit that they disrupt their sleep. And, you know, those are issues we have to say, okay, let's prioritize sleep. And I think the point of all of these these things we've discussed today are prioritizing sleep and respecting the need for sleep and, and therefore improving our, our health and whether it's physical health, psychological health, but overall our quality of life. So it, it's about prioritizing it and saying what what can we do at every step of the way to, to make it better, to make it easier. And sometimes just having two or two dogs in the bed that move around a lot at night are not good. We have to really be careful that our sleep environment's quiet. Noise can disrupt our sleep, of course. That, that goes without saying, and so can lights. Um, we, we want to even start dimming the lights in the evening prior to bedtime, not just at bedtime, but we don't want to be exposed to very bright lights um, right before bedtime. And Dr. Brown, I know you, you talk a lot about the blue lights in the electronics before bedtime and how harmful that can be. Yeah, there's a fairly new discovery of a a non-image producing system from the retina that goes to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, the, the clock of the brain, and it responds exquisitely well to blue light. And it turns out blue light is very stimulating. A recent study looked at comparing an hour of blue light exposure with 240 milligrams of caffeine, and they found that the light, the blue light, was as stimulating as the caffeine. So Overhead lights and lamps don't have a lot of blue in them, but computers and televisions and smartphones are pretty heavy in the blue spectrum. So you should be avoiding the blue light as much as possible at night. 
you know, a lot of students or people working can't avoid their computer at night, but you can buy blue blocking filters or, believe it or not, wearing yellow glasses will block the blue, and that will have a positive effect on sleep. Wow, I did not know this about the blue light. And Dr. Brown, are there activities or foods that you suggest people avoid in order to promote sleep? Well, getting off of the electronics we just talked about. And Mm -hmm. um, I work a lot with children, and that's actually a huge problem in children. You know, televisions in the bedroom. uh, Televisions are not designed to put you to sleep. They're designed to attract your attention and entertain you. So... And then on top of that, the sound and the light. Uh, So get the TV off. Exercise is great for sleep. It's great for everything. It's great for your health. It's great for your emotional functioning. But the timing of the exercise needs to be thought about. You know, even morning exercise has a positive effect on your sleep. We don't recommend exercising right before bedtime unless you're an Olympic athlete because it raises the metabolic rate so much that unless you're in tip-top shape, it takes a long time for that rate to come down. Now, anecdotally, I will tell you, people can swim closer to bedtime. I don't know why, but swimming seems to have a little more sleep-inducing effect. Um, You know, you should not be doing your taxes up until bedtime if you can avoid it. There needs to be some downtime right before you go to bed. You know, there's a a patient of mine told me, you know, I'd, I'd get in bed at night, and would say goodnight to my wife, and the lights would go off, and we'd start to go to sleep, and she would look over and say, I need to talk to you about your son. Well, that's not the time to be talking about problems of the day. (laughs) Get all that kind of stuff out of the bedroom. Uh, Do it much earlier during the day. Foods, um, that's, that's a little more difficult subject. I mean, the most obvious one is caffeine. I think everybody knows that caffeine affects sleep, but people may not realize how long caffeine can be influencing their sleep. If you're sensitive to caffeine, a single cup of coffee can affect you for up to 10 hours. And so when we're looking at caffeine and somebody that's having trouble sleeping, we tell them to back way down on the caffeine. I mean, nothing after about uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon at the absolute latest. And a lot of people don't realize they're even drinking caffeine. I had a patient that kept a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew on a bedside table, and she would drink the entire thing during the night. But she didn't think it had caffeine because it wasn't cola-colored. Well, a (laughs) lot of substances have caffeine in them. So you need to be aware of what you're consuming um, and make sure that that's not the culprit that's creating the sleep problem. That's right. And even certain types of teas I've seen people drinking and they'll, they won't realize that there is indeed caffeine in them. What about, uh, what about supplements? Uh, do you ever encourage any or are there any good ones out there that promote sleep? Yeah, there are. Um, we use melatonin. This is a little controversial and melatonin is a hormone and it's the only hormone that is not regulated by the FDA. So it is over-the-counter, but your brain naturally produces melatonin at night when it gets dark. So just because it's night, if you're in a very light room, you're not going to get the melatonin. That's why uh, Terry was saying you need to dim those lights at night to allow the brain to start producing melatonin. You can take over-the-counter melatonin. Um, We use it in two ways. It's In little children, it actually acts like a sleeping pill. 
And in certain populations, such as children with autism spectrum disorder, uh, they do quite well with melatonin. In older people, it's not really so much a sleeping pill as it is a time shifter, meaning circadian rhythms can get shifted later than people desire. And this is particularly common in teenagers. And so we have them take melatonin way early, like at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, 6 o'clock in the afternoon, not with the idea that they're going to go to bed at that time, but it pulls sleep in that direction. So that if they were commonly not falling asleep till 2 or 3 in the morning, if you take melatonin very early, it will bring sleep back. We generally combine that with morning bright light because morning bright light will help you fall asleep earlier in the evening, and evening bright light does just the opposite. It's going to keep you awake later and help you sleep later. Uh, There is a small but very good literature on lavender, the scent of lavender. Um, It is sedating. It does help people sleep. I never would just say, go try lavender and tell me how you slept. But we put it as part of a program, uh, like a hot bath 45 minutes before bedtime, Uh, some electronic candles, a little new age music, and the scent of lavender. Don't use peppermint. Peppermint is stimulating, but lavender is sedating. That's doing two things. The lavender is is sedating and helping you get sleepy, but secondly, the bath is artificially raising your core body temperature. And when you get out of the bath, your body temperature falls, and a falling temperature has a small but very real sleep-inducing effect. So, yeah, I'm in favor of a lot of these things that you see out there. All right, and as we come to the end of our show, Terry, I'd love to leave our listeners with a tip of the week. Um, And so I'm actually going to ask you, what would be, you, you guys have shared so much information, so much wonderful information, things that I've jotted down for my own self. But uh, if you were to share just one tip, what is your best tip? If for someone out there who's struggling with uh, getting adequate sleep, what is the best tip you would share with them uh, to help them through this? Well, the very best tip was something Dr. Brown told me years ago, and he said, take away the clock by the bed. Do not have a clock by your bed that you can see during the night. And I did that, and it completely changed my sleep um, quality. I stopped looking at the clock several times during the night because (laughs) once I look over at it, I think, okay, it's 2 a.m. How many more hours of sleep do I have before I have to get up? And, you know, that happened a couple of times a night. And the problem is, it, it's it's very alerting to do that because you have to kind of do the math in the in your head, and then you're wide awake, and it, it's just a bad situation all the way around. So, I think by not glancing over at the clock has has been a game changer for me, and uh, that was one of the basic tips that I give people. That I get great feedback on that, in terms of they've the clock watching is very disruptive to a good night's sleep. Wow, I I never thought of that. I have one right at my bedside table, and there's another one 
on the cable box across from me. So <laughs> you need to get rid of perhaps I shouldn't even have that TV and the cable in the room, right? That's right. That's right. I have a lot of work to do. I told you I've taken notes. I really appreciate you both being on the show. Such great information. Again, this is Terry Crawley. She's a registered nurse and certified sleep health professional. And Dr. David Brown, sleep psychologist. And their upcoming book, and I I can't wait to get my hands on this. When is this coming out? It's called um, Sleeping Your Way to the Top. When do you guys expect this out? It'll be out next year. Okay. All right. Well, we, we will look forward to that, and I'll keep my listeners... Uh, updated as to its release. Terry, can you tell us uh, how may our listeners get a hold of you? Sure. You can email us at wegetsleep at gmail.com. That's wegetsleep at gmail.com. And again, I'll make sure that's on uh, my Facebook page. Thank you both for coming on the show. Just a lot of great information, and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Diane. It was a great, great opportunity. All right. And to my listeners, thank you guys for listening in each week. I will leave you with the quote of the week, and it says, the struggle you're in today is developing the strength that you will need tomorrow. I'm not sure who wrote that quote, but it's a good one. So thank you for listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane MD. Please join us next week. And again, for local listings of the show, please go to my website at drdianethompson.com and go on to my Facebook page. It's facebook.com, Dr. Diane A. Thompson, and please like that page. Again, remember, your health is your wealth, so please do something healthy for yourselves. Until next time, everyone. You have been listening to Health Talk with Dr. Diane, MD, on 1570 AM WIGO. Please tune in every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the best in inspirational health information. If you have missed any part of this broadcast, would like to find out more about Dr. Diane A. Thompson, or would like to receive her ebook on stress, please go to drdianethompson.com. That's drdianethompson.com. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash drdianethompson. Remember, your health is your wealth. So do something healthy for yourself. Have a great evening. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.